to you all. We hope you're enjoying the spirit of the holiday season as much as we are. And we hope you're excited for more news and views about the world of theater as well. Yes, uh, and it's an exciting week, an exciting thing to start off this week uh, with the news that Ain't No Mo is not closed. And it's not closing yet. Uh, They've extended performances at least through December 23rd. And I'm saying at least because we're hoping for another extension. Some incredible uh, people like Queen Latifah um, and Will and Jada Pinkett-Smith have pitched in to help buy out entire nights uh, of the show. And so hopefully that will continue. If they're all sold out, I think they're just going to keep adding shows, which, awesome. I just, I love the the way the world is coming together to support this show, this really important show. So I hope that on the next bulletin we have, we get to say this again, because it's a show that should not be closing this soon. It's powerful. Right. Um, also, new on Broadway, Between Riverside and Crazy opens today, the 19th of December. Yes. Um... The, the, I believe it's a revival production of Memory Serves and Right, but it's being done by Second Stage Theater. It's their second show of the season down at the Helen Hayes, and it's the stage debut of The Artist Common. So there's a lot of attention around this show, so I'm very excited to see it later this week. Um, tomorrow, Tuesday the 20th, uh, just a few blocks up at the Freedmen, the collaboration is opening, and of course that's a play about... Um, the historic collaboration between Andy Warhol and Basquiat. I think that's how you say his name. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna futz that up. But um, anyway, it's been Jeremy Pope is playing Bas, Basquiat, and um, he's a young artist, very fascinating artist actually. In one of the books I read uh, in the fall about New York, he was all over it. Very fascinating artist. But I digress. It's been getting really great reviews. Uh, even from some of our friends and other co-hosts on the show over from Curtain Call Conversations. Um, they've, re- they've seen it in previews and they're highly recommending it. Um, so, you know, three great shows still going or coming and uh, just to lead off the new year, you know. In other historic news, uh, Cecily Tyson was born today uh, in 1924. The late, great Cecily Tyson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then speaking of historic news, the Music Man, the original, opened on this day in 1957. Oh, and the revival that I'm working on right now started previews tomorrow the 20th, a Aww. year ago. What do you talk? What do you talk? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal also has his birthday today. Happy birthday, Jake Gyllenhaal. And uh, Once Upon a Mattress opened in 1996 as well. Okay, so so December 19th is a popular date. Yeah, nothing wrong with the 19th. Everyone's having... I feel like everyone was just trying to hurry and get that in before the holidays. You know what I mean? They were Mm -hmm. like, the 19th is a cutoff date, and then I'm gone for a week. You know. How about some uh, community news? We got some community yes, news. Yes, so I remember we were all very sad in the fall when one Schubert Alley announced that it was closing. Yeah, so this was a theater, uh, like uh, theater memorabilia store, uh, kind of an extension of the Phantom or the Theater Circle store that's over on Forty Fourth Street. Mm-hmm. It was their little shop right there. But it was the only place that you could buy, you know, something that's actually on like historically Broadway, you know. It was, yeah, it was Turf. on Schubert Alley. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Schubert Alley where you go to see what shows are playing everywhere. Um, but they reopened 
On the 17th under new management. Right, and it's going to be exclusive merchandise now. So um, I'm not sure who the new management is, but I believe it's, I think it's whoever maybe might be under Schubert's merchandise because it's Schubert Alley. Um, but whatever the case be, it's theater merchandise. It's kept in the, in our, under our roof of theater memorabilia. They right, turn it into like a Starbucks or something. Exactly, because it sits right in between the booth and the Schubert. Yeah, literally on Schubert Alley. You know, that's prime real estate. Let's be real. Right, well, because even um, Sh- the Schubert Theater and the Booth Theater have um, addresses that aren't on aren't one Schubert Alley. They are... On 44th and 45th Street. Exactly. Yeah, so, so this is a big deal. Um, also a big deal, there's going to be a, a film adaptation of Beautiful, the Carol King musical. And the actress, uh, the famous actress, Daisy Egan, mm-hmm. who uh, she now is married, so she has a new last name. Uh, and it escapes me right now, but she's going to be playing the role of Carol King. Which will be really exciting. I do love that show, so it'll be exciting to see another generation kind of get buzzed about it. I'm interested to see how Daisy Egan handles this, because I'm also the guy that's like, you had a Tony Award-nominated actress in Jesse Mueller who can do no wrong. Why don't you just tap Jesse Mueller? But also, knowing that there is a very different art form between stage and screen. You know, there might need someone who has a little more screen experience. I don't know. I don't know what the thought process is, but I really hope, because Daisy Egan is not unknown to the stage, she's the youngest mm-hmm. Tony Award winning actress, um, that she she no- knocks out of the park. I'm cheering for her. The 76th annual Tony Awards will move uptown to New York's United Palace Theater, um, for the award ceremony to take place on June 11th of 2023. And that's an interesting move, and I'd like to know what their intention was, because it's a much smaller theater than Radio City, so those tickets for the public are going to be a lot less, but it'll cost a lot more. Um, so there is a little bit of an accessibility question that I raised. Right, but... Well, it's a beautiful theater. Yeah, I just decided theater. to get... Uh, you know, I got on the internet to look up some pictures really fast, and it is absolutely gorgeous, so it'll be nice to see that get showcased. Yeah, and so I, I, I'm really excited to see what comes of it. Let's let's jump in and let's see what's new. This whole season's new and exciting. The, the Broadway season of 2022-2023 already has been very exciting, and the best is yet to come almost. You know, a lot of really great shows come around the bend. Speaking of some new shows, this is exciting. I'm really happy to hear this. Downstate at Playwrights Horizon has extended into 2023. Previously, they announced an extension just till December 22nd, but due to popular demand, they've extended it through 2023. Oh, that's and it's fantastic. A fanta- yeah, it's a fantastic show. I really hope they bring that to Broadway because it is a fantastic show. Brilliantly written. We loved it. Yeah. We it was, loved it. It was really good. Yeah. Also, um, there have been um, contract negotiations happening between the Broadway League and the Actors' Equity Association. We're back at that. Um, And recently, they came to an agreement that had to... Basically, they came to a contract agreement, and uh, it had to be voted on and ratified by the members. And it sounds like it was narrowly ratified by their membership. So it looks like we have reached an agreement. And that's very important. I think a lot of people, they know of the unions that exist here on Broadway or even here in New York, 
or within the theater, but they don't actually realize like there are still negotiations that are happening and taking place. They're very real. The consequences are also very real. Um, things mm-hmm. are just run on autopilot. There are a lot of concerns, especially now as we, God willingly, head into a post-pandemic world. But there's a lot of things that still both sides don't necessarily agree on. And finding that happy medium that makes sure to take care of all parties is important. That's what unions do. Safe work environment, you know. Well, and they just help. Uh, unions are there to help make sure that exploit. Uh, Exploitation. The, the workers not exploited. Exactly. And the especially as an artist, you know, it's so easy to find loopholes, especially with new forms of mediums and medias mm-hmm. and all that. There's so many new ways that you can exploit artists and their work, and the unions are there to be to protect them to make sure that 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 doesn't happen. Right. So it's that, like it's the uh, it's the governing power that helps make sure that all powers are used for good and not evil. Right. We actually had a guest on Whisper in the Wings uh, who talked about uh, streaming uh, productions and kind of how that works with regards to the unions. And they even mentioned it's brand new that Equity had to negotiate it mid-pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, how are the actors and, and the designers and that compensated for streams when no one's actually performing? And I was like, that's a really that's something we've never had to deal with mm-hmm. until the pandemic. So. I'm happy to hear that that contract was um, ratified, and here's hoping um, the rest of the contracts, because I assume the other contracts with like IATSE and stuff are, are being worked as well. I feel like they all come up about the same time. I think something like that. So, yeah. Here's hoping. Um, moving on to some show chatter, we learned last week that Merrily We Roll Along, the Broadway or the revival happening at New York. Theater Workshop with Daniel Radcliffe and Lindsay Mendez and Jonathan Groff. Well, it's coming to Broadway next fall in 2023. Yeah, so... With all of the... With that whole cast. So that's really exciting. Um, if you want a ticket to the New York Theater Workshop um, production, I mean, it's about as hard as getting a ticket for producers in 2001 or Hamilton when it first opened. I mean, those tickets... Were gone. They sold so many season memberships just on this show alone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so as someone who was not able to get a ticket because I did not get a season subscription, this makes me happy to hear. Um, and it's it's one of Sondheim's uh, lesser known works and one of his biggest flops. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that it's coming back to Broadway with so much anticipation and praise is exciting. It's it's kind of what the new generation younger generation can do with some of these works and a new way of looking at things so yeah that's I'm, great i'm intis- i'm excited um why don't we talk about some shows that we saw i guess that i saw uh i want to kick it off with a musical that i saw uh some like it hot i hope you like your broadway hot <laughs> um it's it's the musical adaptation of the movie which i haven't seen the film but this is your quintessential golden age movie musical. It's fabulous. It's fun. Cute. Uh, it's got that big band sound. It's it's such a Casey Nicholas show. And it gives you the glitz and the glamour and it's got great it's got that cardio, high cardio dancing and just incredible like how do they do that kind of movement that you've come to expect from Casey Nicola. 
and these giant production numbers again that you also expect from him um, mm-hmm. the chase scene is absolutely amazing in act two but also great characters and wonderful comedy Oh, great, yeah. Um, but then also, along with Casey Nicola shows, there's a great story. There's, like, a great, like, story, but there's also, like, a great, like, moral story as well. Um, that's one that you may not have found when the show originally premiered as a film. Mm-hmm. What, 60 years ago or something? Yeah. That now it's like, oh, my gosh, yay, we're telling the story. Um, because I will say, so here's the interesting thing. When I'm watching the show... Just to, I mean, this is not a spoiler, but two guys in Chicago witness a mob hit, and to get away, they dress up like women and join an all women's band that are making their way to Southern California, San Diego, right? Mm-hmm. To hide and save their lives, but one of them ends up liking being dressed up as a woman. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave it at that. Now, see, here's where my concern came. Do you remember when we saw Tootsie? Yes. And. All the backfire that came back from that, I was like, "Oh no, are we gonna be? Are we as a community gonna be upset because we have these two male presenting actors that are dressing up as women, mm-hmm. and there is a bit of a gag in it? Christian Borel's character does have a bit of a gag as that character, and it's less about being a man in a, a dress and more about her actual character mm-hmm. that that he plays. But I think by addressing the social issue or the gender issue that they ultimately do in the way they do it, it makes everything okay. Because they're actually dealing with a bigger issue than just guys in dresses. That's good. That's what I, I hoped it would be yeah. or it would take it. Um, so I'm very excited to see it and once the, I can. The book, which is written by Amber Ruffin, who's a late night comedy host, mm-hmm. um, what I love is there's a lot of lines delivered that you think you know how they're going to respond or you're expecting them to respond and they don't respond that way. And it's like, oh, 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 oh. so it feels fresh and new, even though, like I said, it has a nostalgic feel. So Some Like a Hot for me was a very big win. In fact, well, I'm going to save that for next week when we talk about the best things we saw uh, this year. Um, and then the other show I want to mention is E Bear and Ye Cub. So we had... Um, the director on our show um, last week and we saw their production and it was fantastic. I'm telling you, it is a great show and it's worthwhile to go see it. It's two hours and change with an intermission and it's worth it. Um, The description that Ryan gave was not, it didn't do the show justice in the best way. Um, I love this show. I love the fact that it's it's based on a fact, like this play, You Bear and You Cub, did happen. And there was a trial because somebody didn't like it, essentially. Okay, but nobody knows what it's about. So all the writers of the show got together and they, based on context clue, put it together. And the story they came up with is amazing. And the story about the court, uh, the, the trial, is amazing. And the way they do incorporate the audience participation is fantastic. That's awesome. I also like... Again, the issues spoken about in the show that bring it into the now. So obviously it's back in the 1600s, but we have these little moments of we need to reflect on the on the on how we look at it now. You know, there's a uh, an actor of color who actually is playing a person of color who's in the show, but this is before I'll say is it Protestant. 
law or whatever before before New England was settled. So this is like Williams, uh, Jamestown. Um, so this is an American colony. Before then, this is when they came for like the tobacco. Oh, okay. So this is that. before Williamstown? they Williams Town. Know nothing about yeah, I, I can't think that. of the towns right now. But anyway, this is like settling in the colony of Virginia before we had the original 13 colonies, okay? Before puritanical law. So you had races kind of mixing, and it was okay. We didn't have slavery yet. The idea of slavery hadn't happened over here. And the biggest crime essentially, well, no, I'm not going to give that away. But anyway, there is a crime that they commit in the eyes of, of the settlers, I'll say. It's like a uh-oh. But this actor of color talks about how this is the first recorded English-speaking play. And it's important to remember that because there's probably a lot of other theater that was done, but we don't have a record of it. We don't know what the Native peoples did. We don't know what the, the slaves from Africa did. You know what I mean? Um, and it's kind of a comment of about like history is we learn the history based on those who tell it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of history we haven't been told because they haven't been allowed to tell it. And that's kind of what he was acknowledging. And I was like, I really appreciate this. Okay. Because I feel like a lot of historical shows sometimes just repeat what we already know. Where I like that this one's like, just so you know, this is why these things are. They're real. Don't try to read into it too much. And then also... Um, the the writer of the show, there's a moment where he steps out into today and he goes, let me explain real quick about the show, which we already knew because we interviewed the director on our show. But he's like, this isn't exactly how things went because we don't know. And he explained about, essentially the guy who took him to trial and complained against them, if it weren't for him, we wouldn't know that this play existed. This guy wanted the show... He hated it so much, and he was like, I don't want anyone to have to know about it. He destroyed the script and everything. But, but in doing so... It, exactly. Because he took him to court, it's an official record. And so we do know that that was the first English-speaking play done in America. And and they kind of like, isn't that ironic? He wanted this to all go away and to destroy it. But this is the guy that actually, you know... So it's so smart. And it's so funny, too. And... I would love to go see it again if I had time. But it closes this week. If you're in the city, check it out at 5090 Theater. It is worth it. I promise. So those are the two shows I wanted to touch on. Other than that, I mean, we're, we're the thick of it with the holidays. It's the season of giving. Um, if any of you out there are in a position to... Give. To give. Yeah, I mean, it would mean the world to us if you could head on over to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod, grab a backstage pass, or even just chip in on in our tip jar. Um, there's so much happening that is just so unexpected, and I, I, I'm so grateful. I mean, today we hit 5,500 followers on our Instagram. I mean, that's insane. We are wrapping up putting our calendar for the new year together of shows, and it's insane what we're going to have the opportunity to see and support. But none of this can be done without uh, support from listeners like you. So if you're able to, uh, it'd be the best gift you could possibly give us this holiday season. So um, we want to also say thank you to our patrons. 
Um, yeah, we really just, couldn't do this without you. Yeah, you, you guys are just the best. Thank you to all of you out there who've been listening. I, I still can't believe that, that we get to that we're doing this. Like, this was just like, hmm, all right, middle of the pandemic, we'll, we'll do something. And yet now here we are in the heart of New York City recording every week. Well, and I'm just happy, I'm happy that we can provide um, not only historical content for everyone, but also just thoughts and opinions so that we can help build our community. Um, so with that, we just want to say happy holidays from us at Stage Whisper. Yes, very happy holidays to all of you. We still have one episode of the Broadway Bulletin coming this year. It's going to be a fun one uh, coming to you this uh, next week. But um, from everyone here at Stage Whisper, very happy holidays to you. To wind up this episode, we have a wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings. The brilliant playwright, Tylee Scheider... Uh, took some time to talk to us about his latest work, The Gospel Woman, um, which we saw at the National Black Theater um, about a month ago. But he's got some other really great works that he has been working on uh, where he's based out in Minneapolis at the Playwright Center. So enjoy this wonderful new episode of Whisper in the Wings. Welcome back in listeners to a very exciting episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have got a great guest lined up for you today. Joining us uh, on the show, we have playwright Tylee Scheider, whose latest work, The Gospel Woman, we had the pleasure of seeing as a workshop at the National Black Theater about a month ago. Tylee, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you. I I had the honor of seeing the workshop presentation of The Gospel Woman, and it was so fantastic. It, if that's the workshop, I I, I, I need more. I want to see more of it. Because <laughs> it, it was just such a fantastic show. What a beautiful um, storyline. What great characters. Uh, I'm not doing it any justice. You know, I'm just sitting here reliving it in my mind having a great old time, but why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the show? Yeah, I mean, the folks at the National Black Theater have been really supportive of my career since graduate school at Tisch. Um, Jonathan and Belinda and all those guys um, really supported this project, The Gospel Woman. Um, I started working on it the summer of 2019 when I moved to Minneapolis on my first Jerome Fellowship. And um, the National Black Theater has supported the piece since 2019. So it's been in development there for about three years. Um, of, of course, my residency at the National Black Theater, my I Am Soul residency was extended due to the pandemic. Um, and so I had an opportunity to really work on that piece and take my time and really flesh it out and, and do the work. We had 90 hours of development um, for the Gospel Woman and then we had the workshop production. So. They really invested a lot of time in, in terms of the development. So I, I think that's probably why you saw a piece like, okay, this is really different for a workshop. You know, it was <laughs> kind of abundant. <laughs> yeah, it was like no other workshop I'd seen. I was like, this, 
this is a full play. Like this isn't them right. like from the script. This we got costumes, we got lights. Like no, 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 no. This is this is a full production. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of set the model for how I would like to move forward working on my pieces. I feel like ninety hours of of development is my sweet spot. You know. So how did you come up with the idea uh, for the show? It's probably a play. The Gospel Woman is probably a play that has been gestating in me all my life, partly because. My mother is a gospel singer, and so I grew up around the music. Um, but the gospel woman, I think it's a, it's a few things. Uh, at its core, it's a traditional American family drama. You know, um, it's set in a 1972 Baptist church, but it's following all those tropes of a family drama. I was thinking about all those canonical plays that I really love um, from the American canon when I was writing it. Um, and in addition to that, it's, it's an adaptation of the uh, parable of the prodigal son in the book of Luke. So I was looking at that and playing with that, an abstract adaptation. And most of my works are abstract adaptations of Bible stories or either pieces of biographies um, in my family or other people I may meet. I'm always pulling from somebody's biography or from the Bible. Um, and it's also a play, again, about my mother's music. I centered the play or I built the play around a 45, it was a two-side 45 that my mother uh, recorded as a preteen. And I wanted to use that that tangible, you know, family sort of heirloom as the center of the piece. And that's kind of how I started building the play and working with all those elements. That's so cool. Um, <laughs> as, as you were explaining this, and 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 I'm, I'm going to have to edit this out, but I just had this thought that when you were saying, um, you know, you, you draw from like the American canon, I did get a hint of like death of a salesman from a little bit with the two sisters and then the ailing father who's losing his touch just a bit, you know? Uh, And I didn't realize that until now where I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I can see how that, you know, you've got the one that's overly ambitious and the one that's underly ambitious, if you will, you know, Um, that's, that's just smart writing right there. You know, <laughs> the fact that you can continue to sit and evaluate a show and keep finding something after the, you know, that's good theater there. That's the kind of stuff that I love to just delve into. So yeah, that's... why would you, why would you edit that out? I was absolutely thinking about death of a self when I wrote this play and I, Arthur Miller is one of my favorite playwrights and I'm not a playwright who shies away from uh, continuing the conversation of some of my heroes like Arthur Miller. So you don't have to edit that out. <laughs> that in. <laughs> Please, I love it. <laughs> um, what has it been like developing this show? Oh, man, we started out, of course, at the top of 2020. We all know what that was like. So we started with this really, really profound 29-hour um, workshop, but it was virtual. So I think the, the pros of it being virtual is that we got to pull actors from all over the country to come together and work on the play. Um, some folks I hadn't worked with before, and I was excited about working with those people. And the play grew from that virtual workshop, but I knew and I had conversations with, with the team at MBT, and I said, this play is, is about music. It's going to be hard to fully do a workshop production online, a virtual workshop production, because we need, I need to learn about the music in the play. So they were kind enough to say, you know what, let's just put this to the side and wait until and see what happens with this quarantine thing and and so we just waited and then until we can get in person and actually hear the music 
And once we got in person, the place really started to gel and come together because it's on the page. It's it's kind of an invention because I, I want the play to move like a record. So every scene is supposed to bleed into the next and there should always be music. I call them rehearsal dramas because the drama is unfolding out of rehearsal. So you should always hear something going on in the background in terms of rehearsal. Um, so that was something that I needed to see in person. Um, I have to ask, um, you mentioned the music. The music pre-show was incredible. In fact, <laughs> the ladies who were next to me, we were all sitting there. We were kind of like jamming out to it. Um, and we were trying to guess like, what was the next song? Um, there was a great, um, there was one tune that we both thought was going to be Grandma's Hands. Um, so we were having this like great bonding experience over like this beautiful music. But as the show went on and, you know, uh, forgive me if I'm giving too much away, you know, they're at the center of the story is about um, one of the daughters making a recording in the church. Mm-hmm. Was there any inspiration surrounding um, Aretha Franklin who made an album in a church, that famous album? Was there any inspiration around that in ties to the music? Yeah, I thought of her, of course. I mean, she had that iconic album that she recorded in the church. But the, the thing about the, the Black church is there's so many Aretha Franklins coming from the Black church. And I grew up around so many of them, you know, so it, it would take so much credit away from my mother and her sisters and my grandfathers. My mother and her, and my father are both musicians. And they they met because their fathers were in a gospel quartet together when they were growing up. So I come from a long line of singers and musicians my uncle Gary Scheider is in Parliament Funkadelic, and he also started off in the church. You know, so when I'm writing about "quote unquote" sacred and secular music, I'm writing from firsthand experience. Um, but I love Aretha Franklin as well. You know what I'm saying? But I am writing based on my experience in the church and with music, um, and with my dad being someone who who created R&B and funk music, and my mom doing gospel in the same house. I grew up in the, in the space where again, quote unquote, secret and secular music were existing, coexisting in the same space, in the same house. Yeah. Very cool. So is there a message or a thought that you're hoping the audience will take away from the show? Well, community was important to me. You know, I'm really, I was interested in writing a play about the, the, the church, the black church and its endurance. I think that the black church is one of the most enduring institutions in our communities, I wanted to write about its endurance and its sustenance. Um, most of the time when I see stories about faith in general, oftentimes people lean into the hypocrisy of it to get the drama out of it. You know, there's hypocrisy, you play with that. And I wanted to get away from that because that's kind of been done before. And I think it's kind of trite. And I wanted to just write a play that was a homage and a tribute to the black church. So that's one of the things I wanted to do. Um, but in all of my plays, I want people to walk away from my plays with a new friend. I want them to see somebody on the stage they can relate to or they resonate with and they like walk away thinking about that character. Like, oh, I get that guy. Or I get her. You know what I'm saying? Um, so if I can do that, I, I feel successful. <laughs> Who do you hope have access to the show? Oh, God, everyone. I'm not going to say, you know, of course, I'm going to say everyone. And that's true for me. But it, it is a piece that I feel like um, I certainly want to invite the Black church to see themselves taken seriously in this way. And um, I I feel like sometimes when uh, playwrights go through academia like myself, um, some of that culture can kind of get stripped from you. 
And I wanted to try to sustain that and keep that culture in my storytelling, um, just because I think it's important to concretize oral history and, and give a record to certain people. And, a, and, a, and we also deserve those sophisticated stories too. You know, that's just not just comedy or not just about the singing and the dancing, but really taking it serious and writing a serious drama about this particular community, you know? I want to give our listeners now a chance to get to know you even further <laughs> uh, and, and turn the conversation just a, a bit more to you as a person. And I want to start by asking what shows playwrights or composers have inspired you in the past? Oh, I'm very inspired. I call myself a student of so many playwrights and so many other creatives. My father is the first writer I met. He's a songwriter and I started training as a young songwriter, just looking at his notebooks and imitating the way he, he wrote on the page and the way he organized his language, his pagination. And so I think that's kind of where some of my brevity comes from because I started training as a songwriter. And then I developed my voice as a poet, short story writer. And then I got obsessed with like magazines and journalism became my thing. Um, but when I went to college around the age of 17, I took a course called Modern Drama and we studied the American canon, everybody from Eugene O'Neill, who I love, to at the time, Susan Lloyd Parks was like the contemporary playwright of that moment. She still is of the moment. But, <laughs> um, but by the time we got to August Wilson's Fences, I, again, I was a double major at that time in journalism and social work. I dropped social work and I picked up a minor in theater because I wanted to do what August Wilson um, had done. And the reason I understood that I could do that is because we studied playwrights biographies and I learned about his literary journey as a poet who eventually started to write plays so I realized oh this is a medium that actually encompasses all of my literary interests as a songwriter a journalist a poet and I can exercise all of those muscles in this medium and that's how it kind of arrested me <laughs> that yeah. is so awesome I feel like a lot of people don't know that about August Wilson they just know him as a playwright and I'm like you got to pull the curtain back a little bit more yeah There's yeah a yeah lot more to him <laughs> <laughs> um I know that you've been very busy uh working um not just on the gospel woman but as we talked previously uh you are a fellow at the I'm gonna botch this the Minneapolis the playwright Center the Playwright, the playwright Center. Center in Minneapolis, but have you seen I can't it? let you botch that. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's an important place, the Playwright Center out there in Minneapolis. Um, have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to suggest to our listeners? Well, I, you, you said it earlier, but while I was in New York, I did see Death of a Salesman. You know, my friend and I did go see Death of a Salesman, and I loved every moment of it. It was my first time seeing it on Broadway. Of course, I, I study it, you know, literarily reading it. Um, and in addition to that, it was such a, a great moment in New York when I was there for the classics, the American classics, um, because in addition to that, I got to see A Raisin in the Sun at the public with Tanya Pankins. Mm -hmm. And I have such a relationship with that play. I mean, I, I, I kept trying to rewrite A Raisin in the Sun when I was in college, undergrad. I was always imitating 
that play. I, I never succeeded, but <laughs> I did train. I did train imitating that play. Um, and so seeing that for the first time, that was my first time seeing that live ever. And also I am a, someone who really admires Tanya Pinkins' journey in the theater. So seeing her in that play was an emotional moment for me. I think I teared up a little bit when I first, when she first came on stage, because it was just so much. So it was Hansberry, it was Tanya Pinkins. And it, that was a powerful moment for me in the theater. You know, um, yeah. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? I, I think that playwrights are generative artists. And my mission has always been to create opportunities for other creatives to exercise their gifts. So we, when I was in college and undergrad, we were always taught to like, what is your mission? What is your vision? And that was my mission, create opportunities for other artists to exercise their gifts. So I know that when I sit down to write a play, I'm creating jobs for actors and of course for other collaborators in the room, but I, that really motivates me to complete a play and to complete a project and it motivates me to submit it and to really advocate for this for a piece to go to production because I know that I'm creating jobs. So I think that um, collaboration is probably what motivates me and keeps me in the theater. Yeah. That's so awesome. I, and I appreciate as a uh, actor and a dresser myself that you think about, about the jobs end of it where you're like, yes, creating work. Everybody needs work. So yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, cause a, pl a play can really be like a play can actually really be a vehicle that springboards an actor's career, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think of those things when I'm writing. We have come to my favorite question, which I'm very excited to hear your answer to, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Well, that is a good question. Oh, we we were, well, at my, I would say it's always going to be the most recent moment. Because I feel like you create these pockets of families every time you do a play, every time you work on a play. And so we, again, I came back to Minneapolis to work on my play Whittier because it's part of the uh, public season here at the Playwright Center. And so we we did a 29-hour workshop of that play. And that was actually the third 29-hour workshop. So it was the 90-hour 90, 90 sweet spot for Whittier. <laughs> I was really excited about that. Um, we had an in-person showing of it, finally. This is the play that I wrote based on interviews that I conducted um, after the uh, public murder of Floyd here in, in the city. Um, and I live like 10 blocks away from that incident. Um, and so I was really um, proud that that play was actually able to, uh, we were actually able to show the play uh, to this community because it's about the community here. Um, and I wanted it to be workshopped and shown here first. I also, we're in, we're, we're in the process of putting together a production of it here first too, before it goes national. Um, so that's the most recent project that I did. So I'll say that's my fondest memory in the theater. <laughs> that is incredible. To, to date. <laughs> now I have to ask this because I'm I'm incredibly uh, interested. I, I love to replace. Do you have any published plays that people could go out and buy and read? I have some short plays and anthologies. And if you go to my website, I have my I have all the, the hot links to the published stuff. Oh um, perfect. Is this Tileyshider.com? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, because uh, as you were describing Whittier, I was like, "Oh, please tell me it's published. Or please tell me it's published." Like, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna either read this or I'm gonna have to get on a plane and go to Minneapolis. Like, this sounds so good. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. You can actually see. We did in-person showings just uh, last week, and and then we're gonna do. Uh, they recorded it. We had a three-camera recording, 
Um, and so you can actually see it from December 15th to the 21st um, online. Um, and it's free, just have to RSVP and you'll get a link to, to view it within that time frame. Perfect. So that, that starts, that starts tomorrow. I didn't even realize oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Cause that's, this sounds like an important piece of theater and I'm all about that. So I, and I already know your writing style. I feel like, so I'm like, this is great. I already know I'm going to like this. So, <laughs> well, Thank we, you, Andrew. we've kind of touched on this, but are there any other productions or projects that you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? Um, it's Whittier, Whittier. And um, we're in talks about producing the gospel woman, uh, putting a, a full run of that together. Um, but Whittier is the next piece that I'm working on. I'm also working on another piece that's interview based because most of my plays are investigative. I call myself an investigative playwright. And so my next project, I am interviewing someone who is the son of a uh, relatively unsung um, writer from the Harlem Renaissance period who used to room with Langston Hughes briefly. And so I'm going to have an opportunity to go through some of his papers and read some of his manuscripts and his, his son and they're giving me my, uh, their blessings to adapt the play about their father's life. Um, so that's my next project. Yeah. That's so cool. Now, if yeah. the, when, when you get the gospel woman fully up and going, that's going to be out in Minneapolis, I'm assuming. Well, it's, that's probably going to start on the East coast. And then, oh, great. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So we got to stay tuned for that. <laughs> yes. If our listeners want any more information about you, about, the gospel woman or Whittier, uh, or they want to contact you, what is the best way to do that? Um, my website is tyleeshider.com. I'm also on Instagram at the playwright. Um, so that's pretty simple. Um, and, I, and I'm trying to be better at posting everything as it comes up. So if you follow me on IG, um, you, you probably see what's going on. Again, Whittier is going to be streaming, available for streaming uh, December 15th through the 21st. Um, and I think folks could check that out. It's free. All you have to do is RSVP. And if you go to uh, pwccenter.com.org, I'm sorry, you can find uh, Whittier and find that hot link as well. Well, Tylee, thank you so much for making the time today for talking with me about your amazing work and, and everything to come. I really appreciate it. It's, it's been an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate being here. It was fun. My guest today has been playwright Tylee Scheider, who recently, uh, I guess, premiered at a workshop, his new work, The Gospel Woman, out here uh, at the National Black Theater. He's got a new work that you can check out called Whittier. Just visit pwc.org and you can see uh, the production of that. Uh, it starts streaming on December 15th through the 21st. All you have to do is RSVP. But make sure to check out his website, tyleeshider.com, to stay up to date about all of his productions and projects. Um, and you can also check out some of his writing while you're there and purchase some of his published work. He is a fantastic playwright. I guarantee you're going to like his his work, his writing. Uh, it really was, The Gospel Woman really was just a fantastic show. And if that was the workshop, trust me, when you see the full production, you need to get tickets like run don't walk it was that good <laughs> thank you andrew and then it's pwcenter.org i want to make sure i get that right so pwcenter.org so until next time i'm andrew cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones 
unwrap your candies and keep your masks on and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is DJ by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.